Today we're continuing our sermon series on fixer-uppers. And we're going to be looking at a familiar um, story in the life of Jesus that's found in all of the gospel accounts. Every one of them. Today we'll be reading the story of the feeding of the 5,000 from the gospel of Mark. And in reading this story, I want to remind us because um, uh, this feature is not in Mark's version. And it is the feature that John raises, and that is that the, the, the barley loaves and the fish were brought to Jesus by a little boy, right? He, he shared his offering. And, and Jesus blessed and broke that offering of the little boy, the five fishes, or five barley loaves and the, and the two fishes. And, and I want to, um, to read a passage from the theologian William Barclay. That, that's going to kind of serve as, as um, a, a backdrop to this particular miracle, but all of the miracles of Jesus. Hear it. We must never be content to regard the miracles of Jesus as something which happened. They are not isolated events in history. They are demonstrations of the always and forever operative power of Jesus Christ. Now listen to that. that. That's the way I want us to hear this passage today. That we're not just reading about a miracle story that happened at a place in time in the life of Jesus and that all of the gospel writers, all four of them, wrote about it because it was so impactful. What we're reading about is not just this isolated event in history. It is another demonstration of the always and forever operative power of Jesus Christ. Today, we're going to be talking about what it means to go from hunger to being satisfied. And watch the screen. Um, you're going to see our staff really having a good time again with the topic. Did y'all know that there is a detox that you, all you have to do is drink fruit? Apparently you like lose 10 pounds in a week. There's also a fruititarianism. I think I might convert to that. There's also, listen to this, there's a cabbage soup diet. That sounds pretty good. I love cabbage. What about the paleo? I've also heard a lot of good feedback about the ketogenic diet, but not sure if that's for me. I heard you have to eat a lot of cheese. There's also the Whole30. I think I might try that too. I don't know, maybe a liquid diet would be good, but if I did a liquid diet, I think I would need to do SoulCycle along with it. And I would need a buddy to do SoulCycle. Do y'all think that Stan would do SoulCycle with me? What about, what about the, what about the low carb diet? I could eat sandwiches with pickles as the bread. 
I could do the banana diet. One banana in the morning will keep the doctor away. Or is it just no. that? Isn't what do y'all think would work? Great problem. No, 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 no. Where'd everyone go? Were you talking to me? Did you say something? But what Jesus is dealing with in this text is hunger, a basic human need, hunger, but on different levels. So turn with me in your Bibles um, or to the screens as we look at Mark, the sixth chapter, beginning with the 30th verse. Hear this word. The apostles gathered around Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. Jesus said to them, Come away to a deserted place all by yourselves and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in a boat to a deserted place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they hurried there on foot from all of the towns and arrived ahead of them. As Jesus went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. When it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place. And the hour is now very late. Send them away so that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy something to eat at the McDonald's. Oh, that well, it's not there. Oh, sorry about that. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. They said to him, are we to go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves have you? Go and see. When they had found out, they said, Five loaves and two fish. Then he ordered them to get all of the people to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and of fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the loaves, and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all, and all ate and were filled. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces of the fish and the bread. And those who had eaten the loaves numbered five hundred Men. This is the word of God for the people of God. You, you know, I can't read the story of um, the feeding of the multitudes without thinking about the young preacher uh, who was preaching to his congregation. He had only been there a couple of weeks. He'd only preached a few times in his life. And he was preaching this familiar passage. And he, he got all... Um, 
uh, frustrated and, and gotten a little bit tongue-tied. And he, he said, uh, Jesus fed the multitudes of the people. There were four, no, there were 5,000, and he fed them with uh, 5,000 loaves and 2,000 fish. And one old man said sarcastically on the front row as he chuckled a bit, he said, well, I could have done that. 5,000 fish and 2,000 loaves to feed the multitudes. <laughs> so the boy was completely embarrassed. And so the next Sunday, he came into the pulpit uh, with a little more confidence. And he said, you know, last Sunday I was a little nervous. And he said, I, I misspoke. He said, what I meant to say was that Jesus fed the multitudes, 5,000 people, and he had only five little barley loaves and two tiny fish. And then he looked at the man and said, could you have done that? The old man said, well, I could if I had the leftovers from last Sunday. <laughs> and, and you know, there's another cartoon I'd like to show you. Here's uh, two of the disciples distributing, and there's two kind of picnic style on a blanket. And one of them says, but I don't like fish. And the caption underneath, there's always one, right? There's always one. You know, when we read this story... I don't know if you're like I am, but the facts of the story start speaking to me. And, you know, I start reading the other um, accounts of this story, and there's all a little bit different telling of the story, a few different facts. It causes me to wonder, well, you know, what really happened? What really took place in the feeding of the 5,000? You know, you may be here today, and you, you may read this text, and you may receive this text quite literally. You, you, you know that Jesus could perform miracles, that he, he uh, cured people of leprosy. He could, um, he could touch a, a blind person's eyes, and they would see. He could raise the dead to life. And so, you know, what would five little barley loaves and two little fish be to Jesus if he wanted to feed 5,000 people with them, right? And, and you can take this text quite literally. You don't need to know any more. And, and it, it, it's enough for you. you. You may be there, and if you are, my goodness, that's quite all right because we do know that Jesus had that kind of power. But, but maybe you're like I am and you wonder just a little bit why the text didn't just say that Jesus prayed and when they all opened their eyes, voila, there was this mountain of food and everybody was fed. I, I wonder that. You know, no doubt, uh, the people who were hearing Jesus pray that day, the multitudes, would have known the story in the Old Testament about Elisha, the great prophet. For it said about Elisha that he took 20 barley loaves and a few ears of corn, and he fed 100 men, which was quite a miracle in and of itself. And so when they heard um, this story about Jesus in keeping with the prophet Elijah had fed a multitude of people, but Jesus was Jesus, and Elisha was Elisha. Jesus could feed 5,000 people with just five barley loaves, not 20, and two little fish with no ears of corn. But there may be some of us here today who, who start reading the facts that we've read and it said that Jesus, he prayed, he blessed, he broke the bread, he gave it to his disciples and they distributed it and all were filled, all were satisfied. And what, what does that remind you of? 
It, it reminds some of us of Holy Communion. And some scholars believe that what happened there with the multitudes was that Jesus, he, he blessed the, the, the bread, he broke the bread, and, and he distributed this almost like communion that people were taking little morsels of the food, and, and, and it fed them in such a spiritual way. And, and scholars, some of them say, you know, that might have been what happened, but it doesn't explain how you'd have 12 baskets full of leftovers, does it? Now, now, others think that maybe what happened, maybe the facts that we didn't quite have elaborated on, was that when Jesus received that blessing from the little boy of five barley loaves and two fish, that he lifted up the offering of this little boy, and he blessed it, and he broke it. And, and this little boy wouldn't have left home without a sack lunch. He's going to be gone all day. His mother wouldn't have let him leave home to go fishing himself without a sack lunch. And, and among the 5,000, there were lots of folks who had a sack lunch. And in keeping with the sharing of the little boy, uh, people started bringing out their sack lunches and they started sharing the, the basis of the Christian community that what we have, we share with one another. And when all are filled, there are 12 baskets of leftovers. And what a miracle that would have been for 5,000 people to have engaged in an act of sharing where everybody who was there was fed. So wherever you are, whether you're one who is quite fine with reading this and taking it quite literally, that's good. Or if you're one who maybe thinks about Holy Communion when you read this, or maybe you think about the miracle of the sharing that got us to that place wherever you are the bottom line is that people were hungry and the miracle was that all were satisfied I want to call our attention to another thing now here Jesus is encouraging the disciples who've been working so hard with the multitudes to go to a deserted place and they're on a boat and they're trying to get to this deserted place and the townspeople, the multitudes, they know exactly where they're going to land, right? And you know the Sea of Galilee isn't a big sea, it's like a lake and so they could see them and they could see them, they knew where they were going to come ashore so they just run ahead and there they are waiting on them when they get there. So it's no respite at all. And Jesus is the one who gets out of the boat. And it says that Jesus had compassion on them. It says that Jesus saw them as sheep, scattered and in need of a shepherd. You know, Jesus was one who always saw the people in the midst of their deepest need. He saw those who were in need of healing. He saw the lepers. He saw the blind. He saw those who couldn't walk. He, he was the one who, who, who met the widow who, who had lost her son. He raised her son to life. He was the one who looked over the city and had compassion on the city. And he wept over the city with his compassion. He was the one who went to... Um, to Mary and to Martha and found out that Lazarus, their brother, had died and he wiped the tears from their eyes and he called 
Lazarus to come forth from the grave. It was his compassion that moved him to the acts that we see over and over and over again in the gospel accounts. It was the compassion that Jesus saw the multitudes needed. And also we see here, secondly, there's no question that Jesus saw that God's grace was what they needed too, and it was God's grace that would satisfy. And and Jesus was was in that spirit of God's grace that fed the children of Israel in the wilderness. You know, the manna came down from heaven, and all of them were filled. Their grumbling ceased. That was grace. And Job, who had lost everything, everything, and God restored his health, God restored his family. God restored his wealth. That was grace. And Paul defined God's ability like this. Paul said, God can do abundantly more than we could ask or think. That is abundant grace. And we read story after story in the life of Jesus, how Jesus meets the Samaritan woman at the well, right? And and there she is to simply come and draw a little water to quench her physical thirst. And Jesus, he questions her and realizes that she's really been looking for love. That she's had five husbands and the man she's with now isn't even her husband. He sees an emptiness in her and he talks to her about a living water. And she said, Lord, give me this water. It's grace. And Nicodemus, the Pharisee, the one who knew the law backwards and forwards, he saw something in Jesus that he didn't have. He saw something in the followers of Jesus that he didn't have. And so he comes to Jesus at night and he said, Lord, what must I do to be saved? What do I need to do to be like you or like your disciples? To have whatever you have that seems to be so full of life. And Jesus said, Nicodemus, you've got to be born again. And Nicodemus thought he was talking about a physical birth, just like the woman at the well thought about a a physical water. And Jesus said, you must be born again, and I'm talking about a spiritual birth. I'm talking about a renewal of your life. He was talking about grace. He was talking about how he was the bread of life. And that he could satisfy people's hunger, not just their hunger for bread, physical bread, but their hunger for a spiritual bread that he represented. I read a story um, by a pastor named Rosemary Brown, and she is also a theologian. She pastored an affluent church in Nashville, and she told about taking a group of youth Um, on the Appalachian Service Project and they were going to be working with the family in the Appalachian Mountains and this youth group was going to put a new roof on their house and a new porch on their little shack, mountain shack. And, and, And she said the family had a husband and a wife and a grandmother who lived with them and six children. She said every day that the children would come to work either on the porch or on the roof they would hear the father of the family who had the diseased black lung, coughing, just in a terrible way, coughing, trying to clear his lung so that he could breathe another day. 
She said we barely caught glimpses of him, but when we did, we noticed that he didn't have any teeth and his lips kind of curled in and he never had a smile and he never said a word. Said the whole week, and we interfaced with the children some and with the mother of the family, but we rarely ever saw the father. She said after the work was done, the end of the week, they were going to gather for a little closing ceremony on the new porch that they had built, and all the kids would be there on the porch, and she would share a devotional that she had prepared. And she said she noticed on the porch something she hadn't seen the whole week, and there was a banjo on the porch. And so she asked the mother, she said, well, who plays the banjo? And she said, well, my husband plays the banjo. She said, would he come and sing for us? And she said, yeah, he'll come and sing. It's his grandfather's banjo. And it only has three strings, but he'll come and sing. So she went in and got him. And the kids were all mesmerized as this father, who made heard coughing all week, picked up that old banjo. And he began to sing, or wail, as she said, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And she said on what was the fifth of about 14 verses of Amazing Grace that the mother went out into the garden and she came back with an apron full of, of little... Um, ripe tomatoes that were still warm from the sunshine and it was the last of the garden and while her husband was singing Amazing Grace she went to all of the children one by one and they reached into the apron and they got one of those warm tomatoes and then a salt shaker was sent around and they sat there listening to the father sing Amazing Grace while all of the kids ate warm tomatoes Now, that's a miracle in and of itself, isn't it? She said they were mesmerized. She said when the father finally quit, he just put his banjo in the corner. He turned without saying a word and went back into the house. And she shared the devotional that she'd planned for them. And then she said, kids, where have you seen God? She said, one quickly said, I saw God while the father was singing Amazing Grace. And another said, I saw God when the mother was sharing the tomatoes with us. It was almost like Holy Communion. Friends, there's one more lesson today. It's the lesson of who is the multitude. I I think when we read this story, no matter what gospel we read it from, we we think of the multitude being the 5,000, or in some gospels it says the 4,000, and we think of them and how Jesus blessed the, the food, and he broke the bread, and they distributed it, and all... We're satisfied. But we need to recognize this important piece. Jesus didn't feed the multitude. Jesus blessed the food. He broke the bread. 
He gave it to his disciples. And the disciples fed the multitudes. And and there were leftovers afterwards. I, I think the lesson here is the lesson that you are part of the multitude. You and I are part of the multitude of disciples of the church of Jesus Christ who have feasted on the Lord's compassion and grace. And out of the abundance of what we have been given, we are called to go into the world and to feed the multitudes. That's what it means to be the church. I was looking in my files this week. And I came across a, one I had to knock the dust off of. It was written by a, a comedic columnist of old. And when I, I saw her name, I just remembered her face and the way she used to, to read her stories. Do you know the name Irma Bombeck? Now, yeah, you do. Some of you do. And you know her style. You know, to hear her talk just made you smile, if not laugh out loud. She was so sarcastic, and she had such a, such a way about her. And, and I read this article, and it spoke to me about this text. She wrote, I once dreamed every volunteer in the land had set sail for another country. She said, I waved goodbye, and I breathed a sigh of relief. No longer would I be bothered by somebody badgering me to help with some kind of drive or project. And then she said, in my dream, I noticed that there was no one at the receptionist's desk at the hospital. I noticed that the children's wing was vacant of clowns and laughter. The blind listened for a friendly voice that they never heard. And the crippled were imprisoned in wheelchairs that no one ever pushed. And flowers on the church altars withered and died that could have brightened an elderly person's day. And children in nurseries lifted their arms But there was no one there to hold them in love. And the search for cures of diseases was canceled for lack of interest. And symphony halls and museums were dark and still. Alcoholics, prisoners, shut-ins, the poor cried out in despair. But no one came. Irma continued, I sought in my sleep to regain a glimpse of the ship of volunteers once more. It was to be my last glimpse of civilization as we were meant to be. Friends, the story of the feeding of the 5,000 is a glimpse of the church, the church as it is meant to be. We are not volunteers. 
in the strict sense of the word. The church, as it's meant to be, is a group of people that understand that it is the compassion of Christ and the grace of Christ that we are called to share with those who are hungry for it. That it is out of the abundance of Christ's grace that we are called, the church, to be that grace, to be that compassion. That we are called to be the bread of life. That we are called to be Christ's church to others who are in need. It's a miracle when the church gives away perfectly good money for the sake of its ministry. It's a miracle when the church shares time and shares gifts and shares talents and disregards your own schedule for the sake of another. So the questions I want to leave us with this morning are these. How are we called to go into the world and to share Christ to those who are hungry for bread? I noticed as I was coming in today that Feed My Starving Children's table is set up. And you know how many millions of food rations we've packed as a church over the years. And, and in packing those, it feels so good. We're so satisfied at the end of that event because we know that that ration of food is going to go to some child somewhere who's hungry. And they're going to be fed and satisfied. But how are we, the church, called to go to those who are hungry for more than bread and be the compassion and the grace that is needed in whatever circumstance a sister or a brother finds themselves in. And how are we to share the bread of life to the hungry in a way that satisfies? Friends, the multitude that is fed is you and me, the church. And out of the abundance of God's compassion and grace, we are called to go into the world, to go looking like a shepherd for the sheep that are scattered. To go looking for those who are in need of a healing. To go and seek out those who need that word of encouragement. Or that presence in the midst of their heartbreak. What's God calling you to be about this week? It's exciting to think about. But out of the abundance of what Christ has shared share with others.